Welcome to a special one-shot episode of the Comics Pals, where Sean and I are going to discuss WWE Survivor Series weekend in Houston, Texas, where we will discuss NXT TakeOver War Games and Survivor Series. Sean, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, it's always good to have a weekend of wrestling, so anytime that we get you know, the TakeOver plus the big WWE pay-per-view, it's always awesome, so I'm really excited to talk about this with you. Apparently, there was a lot more wrestling going on, too. Uh, Ring of Honor had a pay-per-view in Texas, and right. uh, New Japan had a big tag team pay-per-view, so we didn't get to watch those, but apparently, you know, when there's a big weekend in wrestling, all the promotions go all in. <laughs> Yeah, because that you know that's where everybody's mind is at. You know, all the wrestling fans are kind of thinking about it. And look, WWE, say what you will about the product, that drives a lot of interest in wrestling. And then people splinter out and will look at ROH. If you're in Houston, you know why wouldn't you go to the ROH show on Friday if you can? Yeah, yeah exactly. But uh, let's not belabor the point. Let's jump into Takeover War Games. How did you like the show as a whole? So the show as a whole was fantastic. Uh, one of the things that is really great about takeover shows, and especially in comparison to the pay per views they get paired with takeover, is that they're very much short. They're 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 bite size in comparison to the four hour Survivor series that we watched. Not to say that it was bad. It's just that when you can have four or five matches that are all high quality, that are all, you know, the focal point of the NXT shows going into this uh, pay-per-view, it, it it pays dividends. And I thought all the matches were well done. Uh, there wasn't any match on this card that was bad. There was uh, one that wasn't, you know, I, di- I didn't really care too much for the opening match, but other than that, it was stellar, I would say, from top to bottom. Yeah, I really liked it as well. I, I thought it was maybe my favorite takeover in some time. I... I don't know what I mean the the first one that came to mind was was Takeover Dallas I think the one where uh, Finn Balor and Samoa Joe wrestled and uh American Alpha and Revival and Shinsuke Nakamura and Sami Zayn that's the last time I thought of a a takeover I really 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 liked but I I thought this was really up there Yeah absolutely you had look wrestling fans want to see a few things they want to see first of all high quality matches uh, great stories being told, maybe some surprises here or there, uh, and stuff that overall makes sense. And I think that this show delivered on every one of those things to a T. So you mentioned the opening match. Let's get right into it. Lars Sullivan pinned Cassius Ono in 5 minutes and 11 seconds in a match that saw Sullivan largely no-sell most of what Cassius Ono threw at him. <laughs> Leading into this match, Sullivan had been taking out multiple jobbers at once. He took out guys like Danny Burch and Oni Larkin, who are hard-hitting stiff guys. Ono was his first real main threat, but even here, he dispatched him in just a little over five minutes. What do you think of the first match? Yeah, so, you know, I kind of mentioned it earlier. I wasn't really into this. Uh, Lars is fine. He's obviously very green, which is okay. NXT is developmental, and they should be trying to give him a platform to see how he performs in front of crowds on a big, bigger stage, you know, as big a stage as NXT gets, rather. Uh, so that's fine. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not really into Cassius Ono. I wish I was, but nothing that he's done in NXT has given me a reason to really care about him. So this was really a match that was two people I don't really care about doing stuff, and that doesn't really do it much for me. This felt like something that could have made invented a regular NXT taping, and maybe was out of place here, but 
there wasn't much to the match. I mean, it was very much a vehicle for Lars to be showcased. Cassius Arno didn't get a ton. I mean, he got his stuff in, but it, it was obviously not focused. He wasn't the focus of the match. It was a 60-40 match. Uh, Lars gets the win relatively easily. He looked great. I mean, you know, it, it, it was what it was. Yeah, I think Lars Sullivan is clearly someone they have earmarked for bigger plans. Uh, what do you yeah. like? What do you think is the future for him? Uh, what do you think Vince or Triple H sees in the guy? I mean, they see the same thing that they see in every guy who's big. Uh, dollar signs. Uh, I don't know if he's he doesn't he doesn't catch me the way that Braun caught me immediately the way that you know like even Big E caught me uh, Rusev a lot of these other guys that have come out of development that have been these monsters that have that, that just off the off their look you know they have a look about them that's like wow you could you could be somebody Lars doesn't really give me that um but I've been wrong before you know uh, he gives me more like a Vladimir Kozlov type of vibe, where it's like he's just a big monster, doesn't doesn't really talk. Not gonna say too much. Uh, I have you you mentioned to me that he actually can talk, but they just don't use him that way because he's a monster, and that's completely okay. This is one of those situations where I prefer to reserve my judgment until I see more, because obviously, based on what they've shown me, I'm not informed enough to know. He hasn't done enough, you know. Yeah, for sure. Cassius Ono, uh, he's one that really bums me out because when he was Chris Hero in the Indies, uh, he had phenomenal matches in like PWG and other circuits, but clearly it's not translating in a second run in NXT. And I don't know if it's because he's just a fall guy as an enhancement talent, if he's not motivated, or I don't know what it is. But he's a, uh, like you said, he's he's not what you expect, I guess. Yeah, and and to be honest, he looks out of shape. He doesn't look. He 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 does he. There's some, there's a guy in there that I can tell, having not seen him prior to NXT, who could be really good. I like his move set. He has a look. He's a tall guy, but he's a little overweight, and there's just something about him that gives me the vibe that he's not trying that hard. Give me a give me a star rating, a Melter star rating of the match out of five stars. Sure, uh, two, two, five. I think that's fair. I'd probably, I'd probably give it a two as well. Yeah. All right. Next up, we have the Velveteen Dream versus <laughs> versus Alistair Black. Black pin Dream in what I thought to be a match of the year candidate in fourteen thirty seven with the Black Mask kick. The story of the match is that Velveteen Dream wanted respect from Black and for him to say his name. Black did not respect him and would not say his name until one hell of a match transpired, which saw Black saying to Dream. Hope you enjoy infamy, Velveteen Dream. <laughs> <laughs> what was that that's, accent? That's there? my bad uh, Tommy and Alistair Black impression. <laughs> Gosh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you think of the match? Uh, I gotta say, I really loved it. Uh, so, Alistair Black, I saw him at Takeover Brooklyn versus uh, Hideo Tommy live. That was cool. Uh, he's obviously extremely talented. He's been in the business for a while. As you mentioned, he was Tommy End on the Indies, and now he's here's Alistair Black. Love what he does. I love the total package, his music, his wrestling style, you know, his mannerisms. Everything's great. The kind of question mark here is the Velveteen Dream, who, you know, he's been wrestling for three years or so. Uh, he's had some different gimmicks, you know, that ha- haven't really worked out for him. And now he's kind of found this character, Velveteen Dream, and to me, it's amazing. 
I love the way he presents himself. Uh, some earlier NXT shows really showcase his personality and what he brings to the table on that front. Gives me major, major Goldust vibes. Uh, I'm not talking about now Goldust. I'm talking about like 90s Goldust. Just very uh, sort of androgynous, like marching to the beat of his own drum, uh, using mind games against his opponents, which you don't see a lot anymore, to be honest. Bray Wyatt does it, but Bray Wyatt's shtick is old. This is something new and fresh. Uh, as far as the match, they had a fantastic match. Um, one of the lost arts of wrestling is um, storytelling in the ring. And promos are great and everything like that, but once you get in the ring, you still have to tell a story. And these guys did that very well. Um, as you mentioned, it was all about Velveteen Dream just wanting acknowledgement from Aleister Black. Say my name. The crowd got into it. Say his name. Say his it's name. Fantastic. That was really, really cool. Yeah. And then they, they, you know, they had a, it was a great finish. Uh, there were a lot of really cool moves. At some point, um, Velveteen Dream hit uh, Aleister Black with a DDT that I can't even call. Like, I don't even know what to call that move, but it was incredible. And I thought it was over them. Uh, but the right guy won. And Velveteen Dream came out of this looking better than he might have if he had one, to be honest. Yeah, the match itself was absolutely fantastic. I can't express with enough praise how good it was. Uh, and Velveteen Dream, extremely charismatic. When, he, when Patrick Clark made his first NXT appearance, I didn't like him. But this is what I like about NXT so much, is that they're so good at building up stars at the developmental level. It's because in a week or two after his first appearance, I'm going to like him. And I, I, I don't think my opinion or reaction was unique to the general crowd because he was clearly a heel when he first entered NXT a couple months ago. And at NXT TakeOver War Games, he was so over. And everything about him, him coming in with the, the Rick Rude-style pants where he's got Aleister Black and himself on each leg, um, to the mind games, like you said, which really is like a lost art. Um, and then just, just the dichotomy between the two, absolutely stellar. Yeah, and you know, a lot of people like to make the comparison between uh, NXT TakeOver shows and then whatever pay-per-view they're paired with. And if this match had taken place on Survivor Series, it would have either been on the pre-show or gotten half the amount of time that it got. This is the kind of thing that you don't get a lot of times from WWE anymore. It's just a classic, like, here's a reason, whatever reason, for these guys to fight. It doesn't have to be deep or contrived. Just a simple story where you get two guys, put them together, and just focus on telling the best story you can and having a great match. That's literally all I need out of wrestling. They gave it to me. This is one of my favorite matches of the year, and probably my favorite singles uh, NXT match in, in as far back as I can remember right now. Yeah, I'm in a similar boat, and this was a really good showing for Aleister Black, who has uh, a, a, a great gimmick. He's an amazing wrestler. He's a he's a he's a pretty good Mike. Uh, he's a pretty good promo. Uh, I I don't know what his future is, but this was a real coming out party for Rebellion Dream because when I look at him now, I see a star in the making. Yeah, absolutely. He's a guy that I I could see really clicking on the main roster too. I I really can because he's different. He's fresh. Yeah, I mean, Alistair Black kind of has the uh, paranormal. 
uh, occultist thing, which we've seen a few times. I think he'll translate on the main roster. I don't know how it will translate, but when I when I look at Velveteen Dream, he looks like a guy that Vince is going to drool over. Yeah, absolutely. So what would you rate the match? Uh, I, you know, I, I got to go with a, a four or five. I, I'm hesitant to give it that five just because, you know, what's perfect. But uh, it, it did everything I needed it to do. Uh, maybe it could have been slightly longer if this was a feud that they were investing more time into. If, if this were like the second or third match, maybe you up the stakes a little bit. But for a one-off match feud, this is about as good as it gets. I agree. And... The, the story was so effective in its simplicity in a way that a lot of WWE matches aren't. And right. I think that really contributes to the quality of the match. And that was apparent with the audience reaction. So I'm also going to give it four and a half stars. Um, what do you think is next for Aleister Black? So uh, there are some developments later in the, uh, later in the show that we'll talk about. Uh, you know, with with uh, the championship, the NXT championship, things are kind of in flux. I think Alistair Black is at a point where he's he's undefeated. Uh, he's primed for, you know, a bigger opportunity. I could see him taking that championship uh, or at least getting a shot at it really, really soon. As soon as uh, TakeOver Philly, honestly. I'd, I'd like to see that as well. We'll talk about that a little bit more as we... Uh, continue to tread through this show. But next up, we had the women's four-way match between Kyrie Sane, Nikki Cross, Peyton Royce, and Ember Moon. All the women got good spots in, but the match ended in 9.52 with Ember Moon doing that top rope stone cold stunner she does to both Royce and Cross, finally getting the NXT Women's Championship, which Asuka presented to her as a symbolic passing of the torch. What did you think of this fatal four-way? So this was this was a, another match that was like good, uh, very solid, but didn't really click for me. Um, I enjoyed it, you know. I I like what the NXT women are doing, and it shows that they're not in a bad place without Oscar. They they still have some talented women there who can put on uh, good matches, but this was too short. I thought uh, too short. And it was missing something. I felt there was there. It felt like they were just trying to get their stuff in because they didn't have a lot of time, uh, and that's unfortunate. But again, you know, when you talk about the tightness of NXT shows, maybe it's a gift and a curse. Could these women have used another five, seven minutes? I think so. In a, in a four-way, nine and a half minutes, almost ten minutes is not enough time. Um, but because of the nature of this specific takeover with the long War Games match, they, they had to cut a little bit, and they chose to cut it here, I think. Yeah, and so just to speak on the match itself, I like I like the fact that Ember Moon is kind of the... the, uh, the she's, she's finally got her moment, right? right. She couldn't beat Asuka. Now that Asuka's gone, she kind of is now the, 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 the head honcho woman in charge. At NXT, the only issue that I have with that is that it, it, it almost devalues her because she couldn't get it done against Asuka, and nobody could. So now that the title's vacant, she swoops in and takes it easily. Uh, who's really going to challenge her? They obviously want Kyrie Sane to sort of, you know, become her her nemesis here. Um, and there's more story to be told with that, but I don't know. It, it it was it was a solid match. Didn't really grab me that well. 
but I'm interested to see where they take this. That was actually my next question. Because of how long an undefeated Asuka was and how much uh, Evermoon came short each time, uh, does this devalue the women's championship in NXT a little bit? I don't think it devalues the championship. I feel like it devalues Ember's win a little bit. That being said, though, the last time they fought, or rather, the time before, so at at, at uh, Brooklyn, Asuka, if I remember correctly, she won clean. Yeah. You know, there were no question marks. But their match prior, Asuka cheated. Right. And she escaped with the championship. So that was kind of their way of saying, Ember Moon can beat her, Right. On any given night, either of these women can come out on top. Asuka just needed this edge to cheat to get it, to get it done on that particular night. So Ember Moon is not worse in terms of, you know, when you take in the scope of it. But the fact that she just never got that one, two, three, I mean, that's hanging over her championship win. And I don't think there's any way that it wouldn't. Do you think Ember Moon is a transitional champion? No, I don't feel that way. Okay. All right. Fair enough. How would you rate it? Um, I, I would give it a three. Three and a quarter. Okay. That quarter. Yeah. They got to go a little. I think we've been in a complete agreement for the first two matches. I had to, I had to differentiate from you a little bit here. So you're saying you did that deliberately? Uh, Subconsciously. <laughs> Troll. All right, this led to the NXT Championship match between Drew McIntyre versus Andrade Cien Almas with Selena Vega. Real quick, Selena Vega has been an absolute star this entire feud and was sensational during the match. And I, I hope they continue to utilize her well when Almas is eventually called up to Raw or SmackDown. Um... But the match itself was very good. I think this is my favorite NXT Championship match since uh, maybe Joe Nakamura won or two. Uh, Andrade awkwardly pinned McIntyre after a series of great near falls to claim the championship in 1452. McIntyre now has a torn bicep. First of all, it sucks that uh, Drew McIntyre suffered an injury here because I really... Drew McIntyre is... Somebody who I'm really looking forward to seeing being called up. Probably more than anybody currently in NXT. I just think he has such potential. He looks like a star. He looks like a million bucks. It's completely different than when he first debuted in WWE. Right. And now I think that there's money in him. I think you could pair him with basically anybody on the main roster and get something good. He's a great wrestler, in my opinion. Uh, And this showcase that his match with Bobby Roode wasn't the best but I feel like that's due more to their sort of similar sizes and styles more than anything else this was an opportunity for Drew to get in there with someone a little smaller a little craftier who Drew could throw around a little bit but but who could also compete with him on an athletic uh you know in-ring talent level um and they they pulled it off it was a fantastic match uh Zelina Vega her her presence was felt throughout the entire match. Uh, I love the spot where she tried to hit um, Drew McIntyre with the Hurricane Rana, and he kind of like she tried to hit it off the apron, and he just not only did he not let her do that, but he picked her back up. And I thought, is he going to power bomb her right now? But he actually just kind of gently put her back on the apron. Fantastic. It felt like it felt like a rewind. It was <laughs> it was pretty cool actually. Uh, but uh, but no, Cianalis did a great job. I thought. 
Uh, a shocking victory, I will say. There's been some uh, thought that maybe this was an audible that was called because Drew McIntyre did suffer an injury. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but definitely Drew's run was short-lived as champion. I would like to think that if it was deliberate, it's because they want to move him up and they see potential in him, but where does this leave him now that he's injured is my question. 91 days, he was NXT champion. Uh, by definition, like a transitional champion. NXT's had a lot of long title reigns. Balor was the longest-running champion. Joe and Nakamura had long runs, and they traded a little bit. Bobby Roode had a lengthy run. Uh, as far as WWE injuries go, this is the most unfortunate injury, I think, since Finn Balor was injured at SummerSlam 2016. Yeah. Because... That these are both guys that had rocket ships packed, uh, strapped onto their backs, and they got hurt, and it really sucks. Yeah, I agree, and I just hope he doesn't fall by the wayside. The good thing about it is that he's in NXT, so it's not as if he was on the main roster. I mean, Finn Balor's situation, look, he hasn't even had a chance, really, at the championship since he lost, or since he had to forfeit it. So, that's really sad, and I hope that I hope that he recovers from that, Finn does. But when you look at Drew, uh, he didn't have that main roster exposure to where now people are going to kind of soften on him once he comes back. He could easily debut on the main roster. They can give him a decent spot. I was thinking Royal Rumble, that's probably too early, maybe after WrestleMania. There are a lot of opportunities to debut a guy like this who comes in fresh and, and, and really impacts the next year of stories in WWE. Drew McIntyre, when I look at him, he's the complete package. He is a main eventer. He's got the wrestling skill, he's got the size, the look, and he's a good promo. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt about it. And uh, Zelina is an example of why WWE should utilize more managers and mouthpieces because they really enhance talents. It's really frustrating that they seem to not want to do that. I mean, the Paul Heyman works fantastically. Uh, I think Maurice has made The Miz watchable over the last uh, couple of years since she's been back. I couldn't stand The Miz for a, a, a little while there. Once she came back into the fold, I think that changed everything for him. And Zelina Vega is doing the same thing for Cien Almas right now. But I don't know... If he gets called up and she comes with him and is allowed to have that same impact. Yeah, and that's a big problem because – and I want to give a compliment to the NXT storytelling team because uh, the ultimate character arc of Andrade Cien Almas has been really good. He started, he came to NXT. He floundered. He didn't care about winning. He was a party boy. He was too tranquilo. Uh, and then uh, Zelina came in, motivated him. He had great matches with Johnny Gargano and uh, – he just won the championship. And this was the best match he's had since coming to NXT. He was so motivated. It was clear. He dropped the belt on the way up the ramp because he was so excited. <laughs> yeah, it's cool for him because you're right. He did struggle. And uh, he finally kind of – he's clicked. I think everything has fallen into place for him. And he's an example of, look, you come in, you have to learn the WWE style. But if you're talented and you care, you can and you will succeed. I don't know if a lot of people realize this, but uh, um, Almas was the founder of Los Inglobernables, which is a huge faction in Japan right now, Los Inglobernables uh, de Japan. And uh, after he won the NXT Championship, to see a Na Naido, who's got the uh, championship match coming up against Okada at Wrestle Kingdom 12, 
tweeted at him uh, a tranquilo kind of thing, which was cool because um, like the whole Bullet Club thing. Um, right. So a cool little nod over there. I like when things like that happen. Uh, yeah, I'm happy for him. What would you rate the match? Uh, I would go with a four on this one. Uh, I, you know, I was really impressed by everything that they did. I felt like Drew's injury kind of changed the speed of the match. I think Almas had to carry a little more uh, towards the end once it was apparent that Drew was hurt. Um, I, I don't really have a ton of negative things to say about it. It wasn't a five star match. It wasn't perfect, but I really like what they did deliver. And I think uh, Zelina Vega added a lot to the proceedings that would have been lacking had she not been there. So I agree. And I, I would also give it four stars. I was really impressed. And I can't underscore enough how much of a swerve it really was. Because when Almas ultimately got the pin, I was in utter disbelief. I thought this was a, uh, a trans- like a, just a, a soft defense match, a roadblock match. Because I, I really thought the next road was going to be Adam Cole versus Drew McIntyre. So... When Almas won, I was in complete disbelief, but it was a good kind of swerve. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a surprise that you like, you know? You like to see stuff like this happen, uh, and I don't think it means anything bad about Drew McIntyre. I don't think it signals a lack of confidence or anything like that. He looked dominant for the first, like, three-fourths of the match, too, because of his size and stature. He looked awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's what he brings to the table. Uh the main roster is full of guys right now that are top stars who are not that big. And Drew is the kind of guy who can come up and, I mean, think about the matches that he could have with guys like Finn and AJ. You know, that could be a lot of fun, him kind of throwing them around a little bit, them getting their stuff in. I just love that kind of big guy versus small guy dynamic. And he brings that, and he can mix it up with the big guys too. I think there's a match there with Cena. I just, there's a lot he can do, so I'm excited to see him come up at some point. I agree. So, the main event was War Games. First War Games we've seen in nearly 20 years. Sean had the misfortune of watching War Games 98 before this. <laughs> We're not going to talk about that. It started out with Adam Cole, baby, versus Roddy Strong versus Eric Young, as we had a battle of the factions of the Undisputed Era, uh, Authors of Pain and Sanity. Um, so then the, the, there was no heat while those three, first three guys really wrestled. But then all the Ring of Honor guys came out, uh, Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly. Uh, still no heat. But then the Authors of Pain came out, and the crowd lit up. And these guys just threw everyone around. It was very cool. Then the rest of Sanity came to the ring, and they brought a whole wide assortment of weapons and tables. The audience began going crazy. The match was utter mayhem with insane spots throughout the entire thing. Alexander Wolf of Sanity busted the back of his head during a German suplex through a table. And the match ultimately ended with Adam Cole pinning Eric Young in 36 minutes and 37 seconds. What do you think of War Games? I thought it was a lot of fun, man. Um, definitely better than uh, War Games 98 from <laughs> WCW. Um, but, I, yeah, so this one was a lot of fun. Uh, I like the fact that the that there was no top on the cage. I saw a lot of criticism of that. But look, it, it allowed them to do some fun stuff. They got to do a lot of cool stuff. Adam Cole especially spent a lot of time up there. Um, and, and that made it interesting. I, I thought this match, the only criticism I really have is that I felt like it was too long. Sure. Uh, and nothing, this is going to sound weird, but uh, nothing really mattered until all teams were in the ring. Yeah. Because you, there was no danger. No one could get eliminated. Um, 
So it didn't matter how much you beat them down because eventually their teammates were going to come in and save the day. Um, but once everybody was in the ring and, you know, you had Killian Dane, I think it was throwing stuff in the ring with the tables and the trash cans and everything else, that made it that made it exciting. It made it fun. Uh, and everybody got their stuff in. Everybody looked really good in this match, I thought. Uh, Eric Young was really impressive, and I love what he's been doing in NXT. Uh, Killian Dane was awesome. He was clearly the star of this match in terms of they gave him the most cool stuff to do. Those clotheslines that he oh had my God. Uh, um, were just crazy. The way they kept the, the feud going um, with Adam Cole, like, like it was just it was just awesome. I loved everything that they did. Um I, I mean, the, again, the only criticism that I have is that the match took too long to really gather some momentum and heat. But other than that, I loved it. I really want to compliment how they really made it feel like an all-out war. The build-up was fantastic. The Undisputed Era was running in on everyone. They were running in the British guys. They were running in on the Authors of Pain. They were running in on Sanity and just disrupting everything. Sanity's whole gimmick is that uh, you know, they love causing like you know mayhem and stuff. And so for William Regal, you know, in story to be like, all right, we're just going to throw you all in a giant cage that covers two rings and just fucking go at it. Um, and that's what happened. They all looked dead by the end of the match. I mean, Alexander Wolf looked like he had been stabbed the way that blood was pouring out of his body and, and his head and everything. He looked, he looked brutal. It looked absolutely brutal. Eric Young bust up his nose a little bit. Um, Kyle Riley hit himself in the head with a chair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was an awesome spot. Apparently, um, he does that kind of thing on purpose. He's done it before. I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm surprised that that actually was allowed, just because you know we know WWE is these right. days with the chair shots to the head. Um, but I did want to call out that I loved. I really love what they're doing with Adam Cole and Roddy, Roderick Strong. It's clear that they're on a collision course for each other one-on-one, and they didn't let that story fall by the wayside here. Uh, Again, this is a credit to NXT storytelling where everything that they did felt like it was paying off what came before, but also setting stuff up for the future. So I I just, I really loved it. Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, and Bobby Fish were all Ring of Honor guys, but so was Roderick Strong. So them trying to enlist Strong into the Undisputed Era, I I like when NXT kind of gives a nod to the past outside of the promotion. So do you feel like the next next direction for TakeOver Philadelphia is Adam Cole versus Roddy Strong, or is it going to be Adam Cole versus Andrade? I, I definitely think it's Adam Cole versus Roderick Strong. It'd be random. If they shifted Cole into the championship picture, I mean, he did. He he did win this match. He did win it for his and, team. And so he wrestled uh, uh, Drew McIntyre with Shawn Michaels as a referee in a house show. Sure, but I just think dropping the storyline was strong. Now, when it when I think it's hot, uh, seems random. You can let him come out on top of Roderick Strong. I don't think that's a problem. And then go on to to fight for the championship. I guess at uh, NXT uh, New Orleans for WrestleMania. WrestleMania That's probably the one right after Philadelphia, I imagine. Yeah, so to me that makes sense. How would you rate the match? I'm going to go with a four. I I think what holds it back a little bit is just the length. Um, But otherwise, it was awesome. For Especially considering that there has never been a War Games match before in the WWE, for this to be their first time at bat, I thought they they nailed what's good about War Games uh, for the most part 
without belaboring what's not so great about it. Uh, and I and one more thing I did want to add is that the fact that two members of each team came out when it was time for some new people to come out um, really helped to quicken the pace and help with the problem of it being sl- a slow match before everybody gets in. Yeah, definitely a refreshing rule change, and I agree with you. I also like the open roof. I know, like you said, people were complaining about it, but it set up that really good Adam Cole spot toward the end of the match, so I'm with you there. Um, I would also I would give it a four and a quarter, I think. I liked it a little bit more. The length I didn't have an issue with. Uh, and it was it was a spectacle. It was unique. We haven't seen the War Games in nearly 20 years, and I like that they shook it up and did something kind of new. Yeah, exactly, and I hope that this isn't the last time that they do this. I wonder if they're doing this in lieu of the Dusty Rhodes Classic, though. Huh. Because I don't, that's, I don't a, that's a tag team tournament. They've done two of them. This was really like a tag team uh, match style, and I haven't. And they usually do it this time of year, but I haven't heard a peep about it. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, they, they've got Starcade coming uh, so between this and Starcade, they're obviously paying a lot of uh, homage to Dusty this year, and um, it'd be weird for them not to have the the tag team uh, tournament. But at the same time, how many tag teams does NXT have? Are they loaded? It doesn't feel like they they've, are. They've got teams; they just don't get a ton of NXT time, and you could always put single stars together, uh, which is what they did two years ago when they had Finn Balor and Samoa Joe team up and that really good match. And uh, they had Baron Corbin team up with uh, another single star who escapes me at the moment. So it, it, it's not unusual. Yeah, wasn't he teamed up with uh, – oh, gosh. Yeah, I can't I can't remember. Bull Dempsey? Was it Bull Dempsey? It might have. No, maybe. I can't, I, I can't remember. Rhino. It was That's Rhino. right. It was Rhino. So yeah. they, they threw some single stars together, which it, that works too when you're telling a story. Yeah, so so you're right. They could do it again. I'd like to see it again. I don't have any problems with that. Will they do it again? I think if if they are, we'll probably hear an announcement within the next two weeks on NXT. You, yeah, you would think so. So yeah. that was that was Takeover War Games. Any closing thoughts before we jump over to Survivor Series? I love NXT. I love these Takeover events. They're a, a, an absolute joy to watch. I'm excited for Philly. I'm going to be there with you. And uh, I, th- I think this is going to be – the future of NXT is very bright. They're not lacking for star power. Uh, yes, they don't have Finn. They don't have Joe. They don't have Nakamura. But they're building their own people. And this is what NXT does. They're great. If, if, if nothing else, they're great at building people up for their own show. I agree. And guys like Finn and Joe and Nakamura, they were all like 34-ish when they were NXT champion. You know, 34 or 35. Uh, Drew McIntyre, Adam Cole – you know, Velveteen Dream, these guys are all in their early 30s, late to early 20s. Yeah. So, I mean, Velveteen Dream is what, 22 Adam years Cole's old? Adam Cole's 27. There you go. So, that was Taken War Games. Fantastic pay-per-view. One of my favorite in a long time. I love NXT. It's my favorite brand at the moment. But uh, let's jump over to Survivor Series. Sean, without any spoilers, what do you think of the show? Uh, I thought it delivered overall. Um... There were some things, obviously, that, that I didn't love. I wish the show was shorter, a little bit tighter, um, but that's just the nature of the beast these days with these big four pay-per-views. Big five now, I guess, if you count money in the bank. The bank yeah. Where they're going to be they're gonna be four hours. That's just what it is. And they're going to have an hour pre-show. So that being said, uh, a lot of the matches that I was looking forward to were either as good as I expected or better. 
Um, there were some disappointing elements, which we'll get into a little bit later, but those things did not ruin the show for me. I had a great time watching it, and um, it, it it was as probably as good as it was going to be in the WWE format. Um, I was a little disappointed by it, and that's mostly... Well, I'll get into it, but it, uh, for the most part, it was a very good show. It was a... To summarize it, it was a it was a very good show with a lackluster main event, but even the main event wasn't that bad. Um, we both watched this together last night. Uh, it's always fun watching wrestling with you. We've only watched one other WWE show together, and that was Backlash, I think. Yeah, I believe so. So uh, let's jump into it. I didn't get to watch any of the pre-show matches because I was trying to find parking in downtown Manhattan. Did you get to watch any of the pre-show matches? Elias versus Matt Hardy, Callisto versus Enzo, Brizango versus Kato and Sami Zayn. Yeah, so I checked out um, Enzo and Callisto. Uh, I was kind of watching it side-eyed and kind of trying to get you parking and stuff like that, trying to figure out that situation. Um, but uh, it, it was solid. I mean, they did – they, they wrestled a match we've already seen. You know, there wasn't a ton different that they did. Um Nothing to write home about. This is not, this is not a feud that I'm really invested in. It feels like a placeholder for when Neville eventually comes back, which is the rumor now. Right. Um, Kalisto obviously was only brought over because of that, and uh, I'm I'm very much overseeing these two work. I don't need this anymore. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. I've, I've not been into the Enzo title reign in in the cruiserweight division. Um, it is what it is, I guess. Right. Uh, let's jump into the show. The main show kicked off with The Shield versus New Day. Seth and Dean had to wear those awful, awful half-and-half half shirts of Raw and The Shield brand. <laughs> and they were the only ones that had to wear Survivor Series branded clothing because Roman and The New Day did not have to wear any of those shirts. Uh, lots of great spots. Match ended with a Shield triple powerbomb off the middle turnbuckle for the win in 21 minutes and 20 seconds. What do you think of The Shield versus The New Day? So I thought this was awesome. Um, I I was a little disappointed that the show started with this match simply because I was hoping that it would get a higher profile. Maybe they'd be able to work some tables in, the announce tables, do some stuff like that. But, you know, look, you can't have – there was no way to start this match with more – or start this show with more energy. Uh, I thought all six guys really brought it um, – this didn't have the sort of epic feel that the Wyatts versus the Shield did, but this was so awesome in its own right. I loved every bit of it. I like seeing the Shield together, getting to have them in a triple th- in a, a six man tag against an equally capable uh, team in the New Day was a lot of fun. Um, I personally have not soured on the New Day at all. Some people have been critical, but look, they have had some of the best matches in WWE this year. That's a fact. And when you talk about in-ring stuff, they're at the top of their game. And they proved it tonight, I thought. I thought um, The Shield also did excellent. Roman was great. Seth was great. Dean got his stuff in. It was great. I loved this match. It wasn't perfect. But to start off a show where you're going to be limited because you can't do everything because you have to save some stuff for later, they did exactly what they were supposed to do. And they did do some really cool stuff, too. Like you mentioned, the triple powerbomb off the middle rope. Awesome. That was fantastic. And the match itself was really good. I agree. I thought Kofi really exhibited his athleticism. That There was that spot where he slid under the turnbuckle and it looked like he got crotched. That was really neat. Um, Roman, got a, he, he got one pop, but 
in general, he got a lot of heat from the crowd, even in the Shield. He's struggling to get over. Uh, loud, echoing Roman sucks uh, chants throughout the building. But honestly, I thought he was fantastic in the match. He's always very good in the, in the context of the Shield. And I thought Seth and Dean really shine. And this match had, like, nice little moments as well. There was that spot where Xavier Woods had looked like he had a near fall on Roman Reigns, of all people. Um, I think this is the exact kind of match you want for an opening match. Both the New Day and the Shield are great opening match t- uh, teams. And it was it was a great way to kick off Survivor Series, in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, no shame for people of this caliber to be starting a show. I think... WWE these days is more concerned with pace than they've probably ever been. Ten years ago, this would have been this match would have come on a lot later. But uh, for the sake of pacing, nothing wrong with having Roman, Dean, Seth, top level guys opening the show. I don't think. Um, where do you think the Shield go from here into WrestleMania season? So it's tough. It's tough to say because. For my money, this is one of the most unintentionally botched reunions of all time. Right. Uh, WWE did nothing wrong. This is purely because Roman got sick, and that really hurt what they were going for. Uh, I'm not sure what the plan was, but obviously Roman having to leave took a lot of juice out of the Shield reunion. Can they get that back? I really don't think so, to be honest, especially when you consider that there's not a ton for them to do. Uh, that TLC match that they couldn't have Roman at was their coming out party. Him not being there, they lost a lot of momentum. Uh, and even though this match was good, who do you really pair them with? So I feel like they're probably going to break them up sooner rather than later, with Dean probably being the guy to, uh, you know, betray them. And then, of course, you got Roman probably going off to face Brock at WrestleMania. Uh, I think Seth is the guy who's kind of the odd man out. Dean has an obvious heel turn, in my opinion. Seth, I really don't know what you do. In my mind, the way you're describing it, when when Dean turns on the shield, that sets up a Dean-Seth feud as Roman goes on to Brock, and Dean beats Seth, setting up a Dean-Roman feud for Roman's first title defense as universal champion. That sounds fine. That's uh, not what I would want to see necessarily, but I think that's that's that makes sense, right? It just feels very uh, re- like a very much like a rehash. I would prefer if they just went their separate ways. I don't think we've seen a Dean Roman feud though. That that is fresh. We've well, we've seen matches, but they haven't had a feud. You're right. Um, as for the new day, I got a little sick of them toward the end of their Raw run. Uh, they got a little tired for me, but when they transitioned to SmackDown, I got right back on board with them, and they've been fantastic. Their feuds with the with the Usos have been extraordinary. Yeah, and we'll, we're going to talk about the Usos a little later, but wow, you know yeah. uh, these two these two tag teams, and you throw the bar in there as well. And Seth and Dean have had some great matches too. This has been a great year for tag team wrestling. In WWE, in terms of matches, which was match quality. which was a real problem like five years ago. Uh, the tag division was, <laughs> it was a real yeah, it was a real problem like two years <laughs> ago. You know, like what would you rate the match? I would give it a three five. Really, I'd give it a four. All right, all right, I'll go with the four. I'll go with the four. You're right; it was really good. I was I very much enjoyed it. 
So this led to an awful promo segment of Stephanie McMahon hyping up the Raw women's team. She wore these heels that made her tower over all the other women wrestlers except Nia Jax because the theme of tonight, or last night rather, was to get the McMahons over as much as possible because we've never seen that. Um, Yeah. We had the 5v5 women's match with Becky Lynch, Tamina, Naomi, Carmella, and Natalia versus Alicia Fox. Asuka, Bailey, Sasha Banks, and Nia Jax. There were a lot of bad spots here, but I thought Natalia and Asuka really shined, and they were really good in the closing segments. You had Becky Lynch getting eliminated in a roll-up by Bailey. Bailey got pinned next. Nia Jax got counted out. Alicia Fox was eliminated after a terrible botched spot by Naomi, who tried to submit her but pinned her. It was real bad. Sasha Banks immediately uh, tapped her out after that. Uh, Asuka eliminated Carmella, then Sasha got submitted by Natalia to make it a 2v1 of Asuka versus Natalia and Tamina. Asuka and Natalia had a great segment, and eventually Asuka pinned Natalia in the center to win it for Raw. What do you think of the women's 5v5 match? I thought it was alright. Um, I think it's getting a little more flack than it probably deserves. Um, you know, I think they tried their best. I really don't think that I really don't think that anything booking wise was bad or, or you know, stupid or anything like that. I think, um, yes. Did I did I did I dislike the fact that Becky was eliminated first? I was not really a fan of that. At the same time, though, this is not a surprise. They've done shock uh, eliminations before. They like to do stuff like that. I, I I really can't I can't hold that against them if that's what they feel like doing. Um, there were more botches than I would have liked, but to be honest, and, and I hate to say this, uh, a lot of the women that were involved in this match have a problem with with botching spots. Uh, I I will say though, I don't blame the Naomi thing on Naomi. I blame it on Alicia it was, it was Fox. definitely Alicia Fox. Yeah, um, she was supposed to get her shoulders up, and the referees are told to count like a shoot. If somebody's shoulders are on the mat, you count to three. If they don't get their shoulder up and they're supposed to, that's on them. So the referee did the right thing. Naomi did the right thing. Alicia Fox's head was not in the game. This isn't even the first time she's done this. So um, there's that. I love what they did with uh, Nia Jackson, Tamina. I thought the way they got rid of Nia in this match was smart because I don't want to see her eat a pin at all. Right. Uh, so... Tamina used her her smarts to get Maya out of this. That was great. Uh, and then I love the fact that Asuka was a sole survivor. I thought that was exactly the way to play it. Um, they got it right. And they keep Asuka looking super, super strong, which is exactly what they're supposed to do and what a lot of us were afraid they wouldn't do. They, they kept Nia Jax strong, which I think is important. Asuka yeah. looked fantastic. The match was ultimately to get her over, which I think is important. And she looked fantastic. This is her best WWE showing since coming up to Raw. Yep, absolutely. You could tell that she is superstar bound, I think, in this women's division. She knows it. The people backstage know it. The fans know it. Asuka is on fire. And as she gets better in the WWE environment... Um, and we get to see her have more feuds with legitimate competitors because Dana Brooke is not, you know, right. Um, it's only it's only gonna get better. So Oscar or Nia Jax versus Alexa Bliss next. I think the ship has sailed for the Nia Alexa Bliss deal. They took their time on but it, but I also, yeah, I mean, and and to be fair, Nia taking time off or whatever that was 
really throw a monkey wrench into everything because then they had to shift over to Mickey James, right. which was super random. That was supposed to be Nia Jax having those matches. So do they go down that road? I really don't think so. Uh, I would love to see Asuka tear Alexa Bliss apart and then feud with the Beast, Nia, uh, Nia Jax, take her out, and then go into uh, WrestleMania. I really wish it would be against Charlotte, but that's probably not going to happen. So maybe against Sasha, against Bailey, maybe a triple threat, something like that. I don't know. I like the way you think. How would you rate the match? I uh, I'm gonna go with a I'm gonna go with a, th- a a three. I am also gonna go with a three. Uh, I was a little let down by it, but I re- there there were moments where I popped. Yep, absolutely. And I and again, I'm thoroughly happy with the ending and the way they treated Nia Jax. I wish Sasha and Bailey. Bailey in particular uh, got treated a little bit better, but it is. What yeah, it is. Uh, my biggest complaint, I guess, with the regard of uh, booking is Becky Lynch being the first one jobbed out because, in my mind, she's the number two woman on SmackDown behind Charlotte, and she should be treated as such. Well, one of the problems with the way that the women are handled in the WWE is that there's only, in their mind, only so much time for women's wrestling on each show. Right. So when there's a top dog and a person that that, that that woman is feuding with, everybody else becomes basically mid-tier or lower. Yeah. Uh, and so because, you know, Becky's not the focal point right now, she feels like she's meaningless. Because Sasha and Bailey aren't the focal point right now, it feels like they're meaningless. Like, they can eat a pin at any time. They're not protected in any way because it doesn't matter since Alexa and Asuka really are the – and Naya are the main – focal point women on raw so at this point at this point uh raw is up two nothing on smackdown this led to the mid-card champion squaring off and baron corbin and the miz with the miz taraj for a battle of mid-card champion supremacy maurice was there uh getting heckled and blown kisses by baron corbin the build-up for the match had a lot of social media based banter in the video package leading up to it Corbin rock bottomed himself at the end of days to pick up the win over The Miz in 935. What did you think of the bathroom break match? I thought it was fine. Uh, it, it wasn't more or less than what I expected. Uh, I thought they had about as good of a match as these two can have. They don't have a ton of chemistry. They're both working heel. Baron Corbin was kind of more of a face in this match just because the Miz did have the Miztourage with him. So that automatically is a numbers game, which, you know, makes Baron Corbin the favorite. Um, But, uh, you know, there was nothing really to this. This feud was kind of, it it developed over Twitter. Right. It developed over social media, which is weird. Uh, I, I really don't have anything good to say. Uh. I guess I liked, uh, I, I guess I liked the way that Baron came out on top here. Um, it, it, it didn't make either one of them look bad, but it didn't make either one of them look great. It was just a match, and if this wasn't Survivor Series, uh, this could have easily just been a, a middle of a middle of the card match on like SmackDown or Raw. It, it's you know had that level of, of relevance. I thought. What would you rate it? Two five. Yeah, I give about a two five as well. Um, uh, all the power to the Miz. I'm a big fan of his of what he's been doing, uh, but you know his matches aren't always the best. And uh, you know, 
this was just a bathroom break match in my mind. Yeah, and you know, the Miz can have really, really good matches, but I think more so he needs somebody to carry that match. He's not that guy. Yeah. And Baron Corbin is still young, and I don't know if he'll ever really develop in ring to be uh, anything more than a slightly above average competitor. So Yeah. But next up, we had a very good match. We had the tag champs of each brand and the Usos and the bar of uh, Sheamus and Cesaro square off. I'm a big fan of both these groups. The match ended with a super kick party on Sheamus in 1555. What do you think of these guys? This Oh, man. This match was incredible, I thought. Uh, I love both tag teams. The Usos have really broken out of their shells. This is this is the best they, year that they have had since they uh, came into WWE. Absolutely, and I love to see them like this. At first, I wasn't sold on their their change, but I also hated what they were doing before. So I thought I should give this an opportunity because. I know they're talented, but I just I don't know where they're at as far as their personalities. WWE has allowed them to be who they are, and you can tell that this is who they are. I'm sure they're nicer guys in real life or whatever, but this is their their clothing choice. This is their swag. This is this is who they, they are. Talk. And right, and it works. It works amazingly well. Uh, Sheamus and Cesaro have been great on Raw. I love what they've been doing. This is a this is a tag team that. Uh, I didn't expect to to love as much as I do, but they've made it work in every way, and they keep iterating on what they're doing. So that's really cool. Um, it's crazy because Sheamus and Zara got paired off, leading into SummerSlam 2016 by Mick Foley with that best of seven series match that everyone groaned about. Because leading into that, they had like three matches already, so really it was like a best of ten. Um, right. But their chemistry as a tag team is exceptional. They whip out all these crazy spots. Uh, they do things like that the Legion of Doom did. Who would have thought these yeah. guys would have had the tag team chemistry that they do? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think anyone did, and I don't know that they even did, but they're both hard workers. You know, you maybe don't like Sheamus, but I think Sheamus tries, and Cesaro, obviously, is one of the best in the company, so um, it's not a surprise that they work, and as far as this match goes, this was so good. Uh, Both teams really put everything they had into this match to make it work. There were a lot of close calls, which these tag team matches of late have been so great about going back to not necessarily needing to have 25 finishers in a match to make it interesting, but finding ways to get that that almost three count off, you know, whatever move they do, only for the partner to come in and make the save. Those are spots that only tag team matches can have, and I hate I hate to see people kicking out of every other thing. In these matches, it's safe because the other person can come and help you out. So... Uh, they really nailed that here. Uh, there were some great, great, great spots. Uh, I thought the Usos actually looked maybe even better than Sheamus and Cesaro did. Uh, this was a vehicle for them in a lot of ways. Um, and uh, I think the right team won for sure. Absolutely. In my mind right now, these are the two best tag teams in WWE. I've been so impressed by the Usos in the year they've had. They've been fantastic. Their mic work is awesome. Even leaving into the ring. I love that whole gimmick of, the, of what they do. Um, yeah. They, they, they shine. That closing sequence where um, one of them jumped out of the ring to attack Cesaro as the other did the frog splash or whatever on top uh, to uh, Sheamus for the pin. Fantastic sequence. They're absolute stars. I'm going to say this is a four, four and a quarter star match. Four and a quarter. 
Yeah, I'm gonna go with a four four star match. Uh, did you like it more than New Jay versus the Shield? Uh, yeah, I did. I thought uh, I, I thought it was slightly better, um, a little more focused, maybe, um, and more traditional tag team stuff. Uh, I tend to prefer four mans versus six mans in general, just because I like. You know those six man tags get a little crazy, and that's not that's not a problem. I just feel like that match would have been better had it had it been on a show that wasn't Survivor Series, so it could have had a better spot on the card, so that they could have done some more crazy stuff. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. Uh, all in all, WWE's tag division is in a very good spot right now, and I'm looking forward to where it goes into the the Mania season. Yeah, absolutely. So next up, we have the women's championships matches between the goddess and the queen, Charlotte Flair versus Alexa Bliss. Charlotte submitted Alexa Bliss uh, in 15 minutes even. What do you think of the women's championship match? I thought it was good. I mean, they got they got a good amount of time, which I liked. Um, I, love, I love the contrast of styles, right? Because Alexa is not... A physical threat. They don't try to showcase her that way. Yes, she can win matches clean every now and then. She doesn't always have to cheat to win, but she's not... They don't present her as on the level of Charlotte in that way. But she's still a threat because she's crafty. She'll do anything to win. She'll cheat however she has to. And I like those kind of wrestlers. Uh, But Charlotte is the daughter of Ric Flair. She's the dirtiest woman in the game. And so, you know, I, I just love that contrast. I'd actually like to see more between these two. I think there's a better match in here maybe than the one we got. Not that the one that we got was bad. I just feel like there's even more to explore between these two. Uh, I love Alexa Bliss, the Harley Quinn spot that she does. She breaks it out just rarely enough that it's always nice to see, and I always kind of pop for that. Um, but Charlotte looked great. Charlotte looked great. She always does. Um, but I thought she really came out here, and they haven't really done right by her so much on SmackDown, I feel. Uh, but now that she's the champion, she'll be the focal point where, where she belongs, and I look forward to more from her. The right person won, I feel. I agree, and at this point, it's SmackDown 3-2. to two. I really I appreciate the match. Uh, I don't think Alexa Bliss is the best worker, but I think she is maybe the best character of the women's division on both shows. Um, she's great on the mic. And uh, you're right. I think the better woman won. I think Charlotte Flair is one of the better wrestlers in the uh, company. And uh, I'm excited to see where Charlotte's title reign goes. Because we've been talking about the Raw title uh, picture so much uh, because of Asuka and Nia Jax. I'm curious what they'll do with, with Charlotte going forward. Like, who do they put her up against next? That's a really good question. I mean, Natalia's owed a rematch, uh, so they could do that. I would love to see them pull the trigger on a Charlotte-Becky feud. That would require Charlotte to go heel, which is where she is best. Uh, so I'd love to see them uh, bring her towards that heel run without Ric Flair, just her on her own. Um, and, and maybe you don't go into Becky right now. Maybe you save that for WrestleMania. I would prefer that. I want to see a one-on-one women's championship match at WrestleMania between two of the top women in, in the industry. If I don't care which brand it is. 
If Raw has to have a triple threat and SmackDown gets a single, let it be Charlotte and Becky. If Raw gets a single, let it be Asuka and Sasha or Asuka and Nia Jax or something along those lines. But I really want to, I really hope we get at least one singles match for the women at WrestleMania. I absolutely agree. Next up, we had a sensational match between the WWE champion, the phenomenal AJ Styles versus the Beast Incarnate, the reigning, defending, undisputed universal champion, Brock Brock Lesnar, (laughs) with Paul Heyman. The crowd was so hot for this match with dueling AJ Styles, Suplex City chance, Brock destroyed AJ in the early goings of the match, but he got his, but AJ got his momentum back and brought out what was, in my mind, the best singles Brock Lesnar match since 2013. What do you think? I thought this match told a phenomenal story. Um, look, Brock Lesnar can have a great match when he is motivated to have a great match. He works with people he wants to work with, I think. And if he isn't working with someone he cares about, he'll shoe, he'll he'll uh, phone it in. Dean Ambrose at WrestleMania, they had a match that wasn't good because Brock didn't care. Uh, but this match, he obviously did care. Uh, rumors that I have read say that he was very excited about this match. And you can tell, Brock doesn't sell for everybody. He really doesn't. And he doesn't have He to. sold that calf crusher so well. He looked like he was screaming out of his mind in a way he didn't even yeah. do when he was in UFC. Apparently, yeah. backstage, he was still limping to the point that some people thought he was actually injured. But really, he was just selling it the whole time. Yeah, and, and that's a rarity. And it's a breath of fresh air to get a Brock Lesnar match where he's motivated and excited to work with the, with his opponent. I think you saw some of that with Samoa Joe as well. Um, but but here, uh, look, Brock started the match dominant, completely dominant. It looked like, a, it, you know, maybe even thing, which I, I didn't believe this, but it, the thought crossed my mind, is Brock just going to squash him, you know? Um, but the right thing happened. AJ got some momentum. Brock got a little cocky. AJ to use that to his advantage. Took over the match. He got all of his offense in. Uh, I loved the way he focused on the leg. That was so smart. Um, you got to chop that tree down, as you were saying last night. Um, and, it, and it just worked. He got he hit three phenomenal forearms. Um, and the one that he hit in the ring, I I almost thought, wait, is this over? Oh yeah, we 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 popped for that phenomenal forearm. We actually thought there was a chance AJ might win, which is awesome when wrestling does that to you. Right, and it's like I I said going into this, I don't care if AJ loses; he should not win. Probably he should not win this match. Uh, Brock, if look, Brock is a champ. That's what they want. They don't want him to look weak. That's fair. So let him win, but let the match be great. And they did, and and and, and they convinced me at two different points, that AJ might actually be able to win this. And I, you know, look, I think the right man won at the end of the day. I'm happy that Brock won, but I'm happier that AJ looked really good in this match. He looked so good. Both these guys deserve a lot of credit for what this was. This was the best Brock Lesnar match in a long time. Singles Brock Lesnar match. And uh, I'm very pleased with the result. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously Brock had a great uh, triple threat in 2015, but I agree. This is the best singles match he's had in a really long time. Um, AJ looked like a total star. He looked phenomenal, as it were. 
AJ can't, <laughs> AJ can't have a bad match, it seems like. I was absolutely impressed, and I can't wait to see what they do with him. Does AJ keep the title through Mania, you think? Nope. Uh, it was announced today that AJ will face Jinder Mahal on SmackDown. So now that they've announced that, I'm torn. Prior to this, I was saying, okay, it looks like AJ's going to hold it to at least the Rumble. Now, I'm not entirely sure. He may win. Uh, Jinder may win the championship and go on to uh, beat, tri- beat Triple H in India uh, and retain. That's awful. That's completely terrible. I don't want to see AJ have the championship for literally two weeks, but they just won't stop with this Jinder stuff. Here's a thought. So, say Jinder Mahal wins on Tuesday on SmackDown. And he becomes a two-time champion. He goes into India on December 8th and faces Triple H and defends and retains. But after India is over, they come back. Clash of Champions, the mid-December SmackDown pay-per-view. AJ gets his rematch, and he becomes a three-time WWE champion. Granted, that's hot hot potatoing the title, but it's WWE having their cake and eating it, too. And and I can't really... I guess I can't fault them for that. They've they've wanted this India thing. They've really believed in this. If this is what the Jinder uh, Mahal experiment was about, they should go all the way. If that's what they feel like doing, go for it. Especially now where who the champion is doesn't matter. We're not at the Rumble yet. If this is what you want to do, that's fine. I, I, I don't want to see AJ lose to Jinder, but to be honest, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. It doesn't uh, matter! <laughs> it it doesn't, and so you know they're gonna do what they're gonna do anyway. I, I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get up in arms about it. I I'm just happy we got a great match, a far better match than we would have gotten had Jinder not lost the championship and faced Brock. So fine. Brock versus Finn Balor at the Royal Rumble. <laughs> uh yeah, yeah absolutely. I think I think uh, Finn is. We'll probably talk a little more about Finn later, but I think Finn is being protected, believe it or not. I understand he just lost to Kane, clean. <laughs> um, but I do believe that they want Finn to have a higher profile than he currently does. And there's a lot of big matches left for him. I, I, I agree. The Kane, the Kane squash was bad, but I think in Vince's head, we gotta make Kane strong, and so they fed both Ben Balor and Seth Rollins to him to be fed to Braun Strowman, who is their top priority, as we'll talk about in a little bit. But uh, I think you're right. I think they'll probably do Finn Balor versus uh, versus Brock Lesnar next. I don't know how they're going to do a coup de grace counter into an F5, but I'm sure they'll find a way. <laughs> <laughs> My next question is, is this the best match of, of uh, Survivor Series weekend? Uh, yes. I think... I think it was just as good, every bit as good, as Aleister Black versus the Velveteen Dream. I think so, too. So, with that being said, how would you rate the match? 4-5. I'm also going to give it a 4-5. I was very impressed by it. Uh, I think this is his best singles match since like Undertaker or CM Punk back in 2013. So, Motivated Brock is a great thing. Agreed. So, that brings us into our main event. <laughs> 
<laughs> we had the men's 5v5 match, uh, and it was a bit of a slog toward the end. We had Shinsuke Nakamura, the king of strong style, versus the glorious Bobby Roode. Shane McMahon, the Viper Randy Orton, and 16-time WWE champion John Cena versus uh, Finn Balor, Braun Strowman, Triple H, Kurt Angle, and Samoa Joe. Uh, everyone wore their team's colors except for John Cena, who advertised new merchandise with a bright green. And that was very silly looking. Uh, Awful. <laughs> the first half of the match was pretty good. It was pretty great, honestly. But eventually screeched to a halt. But we had a lot of great square-ups that the crowd was hot for, like Nakamura versus Finn Balor in the ring. There were a lot of NXT and New Japan chants. They looked great together in that brief uh, trade-off. Bobby Roode took the ring against Triple H, a.k.a. TNA slash Canadian Triple H versus regular Triple H. <laughs> that was fun. Uh, anyway, Nakamura got some offense in. Early, he took everyone out on the raw side except for Braun Strowman, who ended up power slamming him and pinning him out early. He looked a little bit like a geek, but we'll get into that in a bit. Bobby Drew came in next. He didn't really do anything. He got power slammed early. He looked like a huge geek right out of the gate. It's five to three, and uh, it's already looking lopsided because at this point in the show, it is four to four. It's a tie. Um, next. We had some squabbling between Samoa Joe and Finn Balor, and then Triple H and Kurt Angle. Eventually, Randy Orton breaks that up, and it's Orton and Tina versus Braun Strowman, which was a lot of fun. That was a really good uh, square-off. Eventually, all five of the SmackDown guys, including the ones that were eliminated, put Braun Strowman through an announcement table. Joe and Balor argue over who's next. Cena gives the AA to Joe, then he gives it to Balor, and then Joe again, eliminating Joe. Joe looks a little bit like a geek, but it's not too bad. Uh, it's now 4-3 to three Raw. Angle and Triple H can't decide who comes in next. Eventually, Angle does. That was an odd portion of the show. It was like a 45-second pause. Angle does the angle slam to John Cena. Balor comes in and does the double stop with the coup de grace. And then another angle slam, eliminating John Cena. Surprisingly, even John Cena kind of looked like a geek there. But it's not a big deal. 4-2 to Raw. Balor comes in. He gets his offense in on Randy Orton. He goes for the double stop. Misses. Turns around. Gets an RKO. And he's eliminated. At that point, it doesn't. It doesn't. Everyone gets eliminated by an RKO. It is the most over finisher. So I think that I think Finn Balor looked pretty protected, even though he wasn't in the final segment. Um, but then Randy gets absolutely destroyed by Strowman, and uh, before that happens, uh, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn come out, beat up Shane McMahon. They get ran out. KO gets RKO'd by Randy Orton, and they get run out. They look like total geeks still. Uh, but then Strowman gets eliminate, uh, eliminates Randy Orton. It's three to one Raw at this point. It's Braun Strowman, Kurt Angle, and Triple H versus Shane McMahon. This is where the match really screeches to a halt. Shane takes three minutes to get into the ring. It just there's no heat at this point. Kurt comes in. He puts him in an angle lock. Triple H comes in, pedigrees Kurt Angle, puts Shane on top of him, and the audience is just as confused as Braun Strowman is. Angle is eliminated. 2-1 Raw, it looks like Triple H is about to team up with Shane McMahon, but then, in the most classic uh, Triple H thing of all time, he pedigrees Shane, he goes, over, and <laughs> they are eliminated, he starts celebrating with Strowman, who looks confused, the audience is confused, and then Strowman puts Triple H in the corner, barks at him, telling him never do that again, walks away, Triple H, again, in the most classic Triple H thing of all time, goes over to try to pedigree Braun Strowman, gets power slammed twice by Strowman. That's the end of the match. Raw wins Survivor Series 5-4. Sean, what did you think of this 33-minute and 20-second match? 
It's really a tale of two uh, halves. I think the first half of the match was fantastic. I don't have any problems at all with what happened um, in the first half of this match. I think, look, they gave it felt like the Royal Rumble in a lot of ways. They gave us some classic pairings, some some pairings that we've been dying to see. Who hasn't talked about Bobby Roode versus Triple H? You know, that's one of those dream TNA versus WWE matches uh, that we got a glimpse of here, and it was super cool. They played into everything. They both hit each other with spine busters, which was awesome. You know, we had the stare down. Um, I, I, I loved that. Shinsuke and Finn Balor coming to a head was super cool. The back and forth that they had, uh, they both looked great. I loved it. Um, Samoa Joe versus John Cena. It's a match that everyone wants to see. They've teased it a little bit, um, but of course, uh, Samoa Joe did get injured, and then Roman and Cena had their little thing. So, you know, we got a lot of cool moments. Shinsuke looked like a million bucks, I thought. Uh, before he got eliminated, he hit all of his stuff on everybody on the Raw team, including Braun Strowman. Um, and, uh, yeah, we got to see him work uh, everybody. So that was cool. I don't care that he was eliminated first. I've seen a lot of people making a big deal about it. This was a match that had 10 people in it who are superstars. The only argument you can make against that is Bobby Roode. But uh, he's in the match. He's in the main event of Survivor Series. That's pretty cool. Uh, so who takes the first fall, the first couple falls in a match like this? It's always going to be in question. And I don't think that they did the wrong thing necessarily on that front. And if the match on the back half had been booked better, I would have no problems. Uh, Braun Strowman came out of this looking like the monster he is. They make him look great every single time he's on television. This is what they want. People are are saying that WWE does not care about their younger, quote-unquote, stars. Meanwhile, the only person who was left standing at the end of this whole match was Braun. And he's the young guy, quote-unquote, because he's 34 years old, which ain't that young. But the fact is that most wrestlers hit their prime in their 30s. So the fact that... uh, the fact that him and Finn and, and for my money, Samoa Joe, all looked pretty good in this match is great. Uh, is there shame in getting eliminated by Randy Orton? No, not at all. Is there shame in getting eliminated by John Cena? No, especially after Samoa Joe ate two AAs. He wasn't hit by one and defeated. It took two to take him out. That's perfectly fine. In storyline, John Cena is one of the best wrestlers of all time. So for him to to be able to do that is there's nothing wrong with that. Could you could make the argument that the match maybe should have focused more on those guys, so maybe Cena gets eliminated earlier or Triple H gets eliminated earlier. You you, you theoretically you could have done that, but they're telling a story. The problem for me, well, and then I'll let you jump in. The problem for me is not that those guys weren't the focal point. It's that the match towards the end got confusing. It got weird. The audience didn't know what was going on. I was lost. Uh, there was a run-in. There was, you know, a swerve. There was It was a lot. And in the end, all of that confusion sucked the energy out of what had been a really enjoyable match. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. And the thing about Survivor Series that's so important is I think Survivor Series is the pay-per-view that sets up everything going into 2018, like the next year. 
And it, they made it seem like there was going to be a Jason Jordan run-in. There wasn't. They made it seem like there was going to be a Kane run-in. There wasn't. And I understand why there wasn't a Kane run-in. This was to get Braun Strowman over. But I think that the problem that audiences had, and this is the problem I had, is by the end of the match, other than Braun Strowman, it's the same old tired people that have been on top of the company for 15 to 20 years. I know that Finn Balor and Samojo and Shinsuke Nakamura and Bobby Roode are all in their late 30s to 40, uh, and they're not much younger, or they're the same age as like guys like Orton or Cena, but the difference is we've seen Cena and Orton at the top for you know 13 years or whatever. Um, and this is a great opportunity to really enhance those newer guys because having new and fresh faces that are talented as those guys are, those are the guys you should be promoting. And uh, kudos to them to, for promoting Braun Strowman, obviously. But this would have been a really good opportunity to really uh, enhance guys like Joe and, and Nakamura and, and Rude, who I, I felt like uh, they didn't get enough. I mean, you're right, Nakamura did beat up uh, all the Raw guys, but it was short-lived. It was just a quick flurry, and then he was eliminated. I I still felt like he was kind of a geek. I don't think he should have been the first one eliminated. I don't think Bobby Roode should have been the second one eliminated. I know there need to be guys eliminated, but order is important. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, look, I think order matters. I don't think that it doesn't matter. I just think that when you have a match, a lot of times they do try to have a couple of guys who can eat those early pins. And this wasn't that match. Who could you have eliminated early that wouldn't have been weird? It's weird if uh, John Cena is the first but out. It's I don't know that I even want to I see I think that's it. a good swerve, though, because that would make the audience really surprised. And that would really enhance... If it was, if in my mind, if it was Samoa Joe or Finn Balor, that would have been a huge elevating moment for either of them, which is what Survivor Series should be. Sure, and you can make the argument that, hey, it's a five-on-five, they caught whoever off guard, and they got the pin, whatever, that's fine. Uh, But to be honest, I don't think much of these matches anyway, in the sense that anything can happen, these are wild matches, uh, and, and and again, someone has to go. I don't know that. Uh, I don't know that it's worse that Shinsuke, that Shinsuke Nakamura and Bobby Roode got eliminated early, uh, because Braun got the eliminations on those big stars. Braun is the guy. That's a fact, and they fed those guys to him to make him look as good as he they could. This is the Ro- this is the same thing they do with Roman Reigns. It's the exact same thing, except that people like Braun. And I am in favor of that because he's the guy. So if he's the guy, having uh, Balor eliminate John Cena doesn't do a ton. And I also don't know that I... I, I like, Braun, Braun deserves this. Uh, Balor still has some work to do. Joe still has some work to do. I would rather not actually see Joe and Cena pay off that way. I think Joe Joe getting eliminated by Cena does more to set up a future story than the opposite. Because now Joe wants revenge. That's a big story. Randy eliminating Finn Balor goes nowhere, you're right. And maybe you could have easily done you could have easily done that the other way around because they're not on the same brand. They're not going to feud. Um but I'm okay. I'm honestly fine with that elimination. Uh, I think, I don't know. I get the criticism. I understand it. I disagree with it. My problem with this show was really just that it got weird. 
Uh, Kurt Angle eliminated John Cena. I love that. Um, I, I don't know, man. I get the criticism. I wish Shane wasn't in it. You don't need to have him in this match. Kurt Angle's there for the novelty. Uh, were there too many old people? Maybe, but they're all old. I just, I don't know. I just tried to have fun with it, and I did until booking got in the way. It was, it was, it was too many old people at the end of the match because it, it, it that not significantly, but it buries the newer guys a little bit because it makes them seem less important than the old guys, and that's that's a larger problem with WWE. They they keep putting over the part timers and the old old guys because triple like guys like Triple H and Kurt Angle, they're like forty seven years old, you know. Um, and the other, you're right with the booking, it got weird, but I mean, what stories did this really set up? It set up maybe Braun Strowman versus Triple H and maybe Triple H versus Kurt Angle, but like, that's really the only thing that came out of it. And it's super ambiguous because it was so weird at the end. I disagree. I think what it set up is obvious. It set up Triple H and Shane likely for the Royal Rumble. Or Triple H and Kurt Angle at the Royal Rumble, and then whichever one he fights at the Rumble, he'll go on to fight at Mania. It sets up Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn continuing their beef with Shane because he left them out of this match. Uh, I love the fact that they got involved in some capacity, although they did look stupid getting chased off the way that they did. They should have had, if if anything, they should have cost SmackDown the win rather than Triple H um, because SmackDown didn't get a ton out of this match. Uh, I think it it's, it continues the feud between Finn and Joe, which is great for Raw, and it sets up future stuff between Joe and Cena, who can feud because John Cena's a free agent. So I think this match did set up some stuff for the future. I think at the end of the day, it comes down to how you choose to look at it. I think this match did some really good stuff. There was a lot of bad stuff, but more than anything, it just got stupid at the end. They wanted to put Braun over, but they also wanted to set up the Triple H, Shane, Kurt stuff. It got they didn't figure out the right way to do it, but I still enjoyed it. I don't know if they're going to go in the direction of Finn and Joe. I thought there was going to be more of that in this match. I thought they were going to cost it for each other because like stuff like that is how you really protect the guys in a match like this is have them gobble each other up, you know. But they only really squabbled briefly early in the match, and that was about it. So I don't know about that. I think you're right about Cena and Joe. I think that might actually be the next direction for for Samoa Joe is maybe John Cena, and I would like to see that. Maybe that's the Royal Rumble feud or something. I don't know. Um, As for Triple H versus Shane, I I don't know, and I kind of don't think that's where that's going to go. I think the direction is probably Triple H versus Kurt Angle at the Rumble and then Braun Strowman versus Triple H at WrestleMania. Because Triple H puts over younger guys for WrestleMania lately. Put over um, Roman Reigns two years ago. Seth Rollins last year. He puts over Braun this year. That would make sense. And I think the whole Shane thing with Triple H is it's going to continue to be this big rumor backstage of their heat, but never pay off. Um, but otherwise, I, I still felt like... Like last year, I remember there was a lot of stories that came out of Survivor Series. It, it set up their whole WrestleMania season, and that really wasn't the case this time around. Well, maybe. You know, that match was also like 50 minutes, so there was a lot more room for storytelling. We'll see what the implications of this match are going forward. Uh, maybe we look back on it and say, hey, there was more there than we realized. Uh, we don't know if they have plans for interbrand matches at 
WrestleMania. And if they do, did some of the stuff that happened here factor in, like Phil and, and Randy? Maybe there's some stuff there that's That would cool. be awesome. I think, right. I think there's there's a lot of stuff that could happen. And and also, let's consider the fact that the people who, the person who eliminated, you know, Rude and, and, and Nakamura was Braun, you know? It wasn't, it wasn't like they got the burial by Triple H, which Oof. I I would have been way more upset and in line with your opinion and others had that been the case, because I don't want to see that. Um, so I don't know. I think you're, I think you have, you made valid points. I don't ultimately agree, but I understand your feelings. And I do think overall WWE could have done a better job with this match. I think you're right. This is, this match was ultimately the tale of two separate matches. How would you rate it? I, I would go with a three, five. It would have been a four if it had delivered more of what it did in the first half throughout just because it was so much fun to watch all that stuff. I loved seeing some of the the pairings that we've never seen before. Um, that was so much fun. Uh, but it, it got bogged down in the end, and that's my biggest issue with this whole deal. So, 3-5. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, the first half was very good. Um, it kind of felt like the Royal Rumble this year, where the first half was very good, and then it got overbooked and overcomplicated and it fell off at the end. Right, and that's something that WWE needs to figure out. That's they do that a lot. Uh, I don't think you know who 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 was pleased by that ending. No one. The crowd looked dumbfounded. And they, you watch you, you watch know? War Games the night before, which is a large multi man match that's overbooked by the nature of it, and it left the crowd extremely satisfied. And look at the storylines that they developed and paid off on in that match it did exactly what you're supposed to do with a big match like this whereas this one tried but it got lost in the shuffle and wwe needs to reevaluate their approach to these kind of matches i'm afraid of the royal rumble uh falling into this as well as the last one did yeah i'm inclined to agree i'll give this match a three and a quarter uh, it fell off for me a bit. I, I, I did like the first half, and I, I didn't have huge issues with how the new guys were eliminated, by and large. Uh, maybe Bobby Roode. I didn't like the way he was eliminated, but it's fine. Um, all in all, what do you, what, how would you rate Survivor Series on a 1 to 10 scale? Uh, on a 1 to ten, 10 scale, I think Survivor Series was a very strong, solid 7. That's I, I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think there was a lot of really good stuff on here. I could even be I, I could even be persuaded to go higher. I could maybe go to an eight. Uh that that might be a little too gracious, but I really did enjoy this show. I had a, an absolute blast. Keeping in mind especially the limitations of WWE programming. Four hours, lots of matches, very tough to really get a break or or anything like that. And then of course an overbooked main event, but uh Overall, I, I really enjoyed it, and uh, I, I struggle to find really negative things to say about this show. I think the, I think top to bottom, with the exception of the main event and Baron Corbin and Miz, all of it was at the very least solid. Uh, yeah, I agree. The the first four hours of it, not with the with the pre show notwithstanding, I thought it was a very very good show. As far as big shows go, uh, the big four. Uh, those could be overcrowded and too long, but I was I was pleasantly surprised with most of this pay per view. It fell off in the last you know twenty minutes or whatever. So, you know, good show, 
not a great main event. I, I'd also give it a 7 out of 10. Do you have any closing thoughts before we wrap this up? Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm really excited to see where WWE goes with some of these feuds that are, that are laid out from Survivor Series. Uh, I like the fact that these shows more and more are not top heavy. Uh, for, for them to have such good content for, for a four hour pay-per-view shows exactly where the WWE roster is at. This is the best WWE roster of all time, in my opinion. And I just want to see them use it better. If if they were to put the same kind of effort and energy into the stories and the booking as they do on NXT, WWE Wrestling would be the best in-ring and out-of-ring product ever in the history of wrestling. I firmly believe that. They have that potential. But they don't live up to it because they just, they, they just refuse to tell coherent storylines and unfortunately the main event of this show is a clear example of that but putting that aside like i said i know what i'm getting into when i watch wwe so i'm not gonna let it get to me too bad for that reason i really enjoyed this show can't wait to see where things go into the future and into the royal rumble i heard brian alvarez uh in the review of survivor series this morning say that it was like a wcw show toward the end where amazing undercard and midcard of great wrestling and the show ends with the old guys on top and muddled booking. <laughs> I mean, he's not really wrong, you know, like I don't, I don't know, man. I, I think I've said my piece and uh, I, I just, I'm, I'm very anxious to see where things go for a lot of these guys. I agree. This is the best roster they've ever had. Um, there's a lot of potential here. We were talking about it last night, but if, if WWE booked their show, anything like New Japan or NXT booked their shows, this would be by far the best product in the world and probably the best WWE wrestling ever. Uh, but they keep stepping on their own toes, and you have a 72, 73-year-old man who changes his mind on a dime, so it is what it is. Uh, final question before we wrap it up. Who's your favorite wrestler of the weekend? AJ Styles. Uh I would say AJ, but I really want to give that shout out to Velveteen Dream. So just to be a little different and to just uh, you know highlight someone who had a great coming out match, I'm gonna say Velveteen Dream. That's more than fair. Congratulations to that young guy for putting on an amazing show, an amazing show, uh, and a lot of people could earn that that credit. I think you could shout out uh, Alistair Black as well. Brock Lesnar yeah. did a great job. Uh, Adam Cole, the entirety. Yeah, Adam Cole. Uh, I thought Roderick Strong looked great, too. So, you know, a lot of people really showed up for this weekend. And uh, it's a great time to be a wrestling fan. Absolutely. And all in all, it was a great weekend for wrestling. I was not disappointed. Uh, until next time, this has been our Survivor Series special. You can find Sean on Twitter at Sean Soapbox. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Cyborg Bebop. Until next time, uh, let's get ready to rumble. It's coming up. Take care, guys.